This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. Placemaking is the process of creating squares, plazas, parks, streets, and waterfronts that will attract people because they are pleasurable and interesting. Dennis Schleicher explores how we as IAs can learn from placemaking in the physical world and investigates markets and public places around the use of mobile technologies and how they add another layer of communication and sense-making on top of the physical public places. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. I'm going to talk about uh, placemaking. It's something that I've been uh, interested in for a while. Um, this is our, our introductory image right here. Can, um, Anybody tell me what, what's this a picture of? Describe what's going on in the picture. Okay. Where 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 are they making out? On a bench. Okay. And what what is making out? Is it is it is it the same as you know sleeping or? Okay. It's it's a. It's a couple making out, so it's more than one person, okay? They're interacting, there's social things going on there. Usually we think about making out as having feelings, meaning attached to it. It's not like a task or a routine or just an uncharged activity. It's charged with emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It, it, if you look at uh, how they've placed the benches, you can have, you see there's a bench that's actually opposite of this bench, so you can see if somebody was sitting there, they could see that, or the bench over here. The benches don't have um, uh, little dividers in them so that people can actually sit next to one another and, and kiss or be affectionate. Affection in public places is one of the key goals or one of the key indicators for placemaking. Um, I went to a number of different sessions um, over the last year on placemaking. And this is um, another plaza. This is in uh, Detroit, Hart Plaza. This is where they have the Techno Fest every year. And I used to actually go there uh, over lunch. This is the definition that I'm, I have up there first is a definition that comes from uh, PPS. So. Um, I have the materials up here afterwards, and that's Project for Public Spaces. There's uh, How to Turn a Place Around. There's um, Public Markets and Communities. Um, there's also Streets. I did not go to the Streets Training Workshop. But what they talk about for uh, placemaking is the process of creating plazas, parks, streets, and waterfronts that will attract people because they are pleasurable or interesting. So not exactly functional, they're taking it up a level to being pleasurable and interesting. They talk about um, 
that you know, we have these theories, we have engineers who do this work, we have strategy, but they say that we've really lost the simple art of placemaking. We're good at putting up the buildings, but we're very bad at making places. And so they're trying to say, we need to focus in on making places. And placemaking makes places that have meaning to people. They have enduring patterns of community use, of people coming there to share or have events, and memorable physical characteristics so that you can remember them. They have something about them that sticks in your mind. The opening challenge that, that they talk about, I thought, was very, very interesting. They've been doing this for uh, 30 years. It actually comes out of the work of uh, William Foot White. Um, he was an urban sociologist, and he kind of started this off uh, a long time ago in New York City. And um, uh, Fred has continued that work for the last 30 years. And he says, in the last half of the 20th century, devastating time for our cities and communities. Public spaces were horrible. People sat on their stoops. There wasn't any place for them to go and to congregate that was safe or wasn't infested by uh, drug dealers or dangerous during the night. And most of the blame he places on urban renewal and suburbanization. And that these two movements were fueled by the design and engineering <coughs> professions. That they were the cause of the problems. So this, this harkens back to uh, our keynote speaker uh, talking about some of the problems and how do we get there. Now, they, he doesn't say design, but the design profession. Focus more so on creating objects than on creating good spaces that serve people. And more often, they advance the agendas of their disciplines at the expense of creating good spaces. Um, I'll talk about, I'll show you a little bit about a, a design charrette I went to for the uh, South Street Bridge in Philadelphia. Um, this project has not yet been started to be built. The year that they started the process was 1995. It's 2008. They're actually having to shut the road down because the building is, or the bridge is actually falling down on the street below and causing serious problems. Why is the planning profession, is this design profession, this engineering profession so, doing so badly at this? And then I was working with the uh, community in the charrette to try and make this a livable and workable solution for the community. They just didn't want something for cars to go over. They wanted something that they could walk over, that a bridge connected two parts of the city, not as a transportation artery. Um, back in uh, 2001, I gave a presentation on uh, retail ecologies, e-commerce, and information architecture uh, out of some work that uh, Jennifer Cush and I did uh, at Argus, and came up with four different uh, shopping ecologies, provisional pilgrimage, maintenance and consumption. And that the, the idea here was that the different types of shopping ecologies, if you could figure out what type of shopping ecology you were building a website for, that should guide you in how you should label things, what type of search that you should have, how you should put images on the site, and how you should uh, measure your success. And what was really interesting, this, this was, um, uh, sparked my interest in this from a book called Why We Buy by Paco Underhill. I'm not sure, has anybody heard of that book? A couple people? 
So an absolutely fascinating book. So this was a, almost a decade ago. And what I found out with, with placemaking when I went to the workshops is Paco Underhill actually went and worked at this place for a couple years. And pretty much the methodologies that he used are those that he learned from there. So if you find that exciting, these are the same uh, philosophies um, or the same methodologies, perhaps a little bit different in philosophy. So I just wanted to put that up there. I, I was really struck when I found that out. Uh, placemaking, what it is, is community-driven, uh, visionary. It's the idea of including the community and making sure that the community is the driver of measuring success for whatever the building product, uh, project is in the city. Um, whether it's a new bus stop, whether it's improving the streets, whether it's improving signage. Uh, Philadelphia has a major problem right now with lots of construction going on. So they have barriers that they're putting on the streets and fencing off sections. And the signage is horrible. People don't know where they're supposed to cross. Um, and it's causing some dangers. Placemaking isn't reactive and it's not design driven. And it's not a one size fit all. It's not into cost and benefit analysis, and it's not project focused, which I thought was really, really interesting. It focuses in on uh, uh, believing that it's something that needs to be managed over time and that there's no end that occurs. Some of the, the these aren't all the principles, but these are the ones that I think are very interesting for information architecture and, and for looking at uh, what we do. Um, the community is the expert, so we talk about users and usage and uh, UCD, either user or user-centered design. Um, they talk about creating a place and not a design. And that's also what we strive to do. We're not really after a design. Uh, the wireframe isn't the end result. The wireframe is just kind of like the stone that uh, was talked about during the keynote. It's something that's happened that it's there, but it helps get us through the process. Um, they talk about you can see a lot by observing. So they advocate going out, and if you're in a park, spending time in a park, or going to a street and spending time on that street, um, or going to a, a community center or a bus stop and spending lots of time there, talking with the people, interviewing them, uh, taking surveys, uh, doing time-lapse photography, all these different ways that uh, we think about how do we see how people are using something, or how are they using it badly, or how are they using it well? How might we be able to make it better? These are the same techniques and methods that they use. Um, they, calling, they call it start with the petunias. Um, this is what they mean by iterative design. So put something in, uh, do it right away, uh, build first, and then iterate. Make your changes as you go through. So not, you know, think about it for a year or two years, make some changes right away. Petunias don't cost a lot, and if they're a mistake, you can dig them out and put something else in. This is the, the, the next idea I think is the most powerful, and the one that I've been able to use an awful lot, is triangulation. Um, it sounds like a triangle, and what it is, is it's the idea of when you're in a public space, or in your trying to build some sense of community, or social possibility. You want to have some objects or something that is in the room or in the plaza or in the square that two people can both see and talk about. So the triangulation that occurs is you with another person seeing something 
and then talking about that. So in like trying to develop uh, community aspects on websites, you don't have just a forum that exists by itself and then content areas that are separate. You need to connect them and put them, if possible, on the same page so that people can react to the content in a much more um, uh, triangulated way. As much as you can do that and put those things on the same page or perhaps allow different windows to be open, that helps triangulation. They talk about trying to achieve um, 10, uh, they talk about it as the power of 10 and to try and have many different parts of the, um, of the plaza or of the park or of a market have interest for people. So at least 10 different things, so a variety of things that might catch people's eyes. They talk about on the streets of New York how successful it is in Times Square to have a policeman, a, a mounted policeman, because that causes other people standing near them to go, hey, look at that, look at that horse, and, and parents to talk to their children. Oh, look at the horsey over there. That's triangulation, and that, that brings up the social aspect and allows people to, if you want to say, have an excuse about something to talk about. So that, that a lot of times when we're thinking about enabling um, uh, commentary or communication online, we think it about uh, one person making comments um, or uh, putting in blog entries into a site. With triangulation, it's trying to figure out how to make the triangle complete. Um, Form supports function, so finding out the functions they talk about in place making the importance of seeding. They say seeding is the, the most essential part of good placemaking. And they've studied exactly you know, how high you should make a concrete wall so that people can sit on it. You don't want it too low so that they feel uncomfortable, or you don't want it too high so that they can't, their feet can't touch the floor. You don't want, as we saw in the first example with uh, park benches, you don't want them oriented so that people can't see one another. Or in uh, Bryant Park, I'm not sure if we'll, we'll, we might see a little bit of it. You want the park benches oriented so that people can see children playing and talk about that, or the dog run area so that they can talk about that. It's that idea of triangulation and trying to build it into, the, into, your, uh, into your structure. And then um, you're never finished. So they don't believe in the project-based uh, way of doing design. They believe in it as a managed process. So as soon as you build, they want to build it as quickly as possible, analyze the metrics that are coming back, see how people are using it, and continually making adjustments. Um, this is what they call their place diagram. And for here, I'm, I'm not going to go in depth on it, um, but I just want to say they have four different quadrants. Sociability, which they talk about a site being uh, welcoming and interactive, and the way that you measure sociability then is in the evening use. Um, how much volunteerism do you have for upkeeping a park? Uh, uses of, and activities. So they talk about this as how fun a place is, how active, or how uh, special places, and you measure that by land use patterns and property values increases, increasing. Comfort in image, this is how green some place is, uh, how walkable it is, and you measure that by crime statistics, sanitation ratings. Access and linkages, this is measuring continuity, uh, also walkability again, convenience, and how accessible it is, and you measure that through traffic patterns, transit usage, pedestrian activity. Uh, I have a question mm -hmm. about that diagram. Is that a diagram you created? 
Um, is this a diagram that you created? No, or is it absolutely from that book, not. Or? This is this is theirs. This and is their place diagram. When you say theirs, um, uh, uh, PPS. Okay. So, and then what I did is I took that and tried to put in IA things in there. Okay, thank you. So this one is is not theirs. Um, this is using the same the same structure with sociability, uses and activities, access and linkages, and comfort and images. So with uh, sociability, this is on Twitter, now having marriage proposals, now having people, uh, last week I um, had somebody who was Twittering about going through their divorce and they were making the decision on Twitter and announcing it. And I thought that was really, really interesting. That's, that's a form of sociability that is something that you, you don't see online. And Twitter supports it. And that's the goal, is to create these spaces that support those types of sociability so that people feel comfortable interacting with strangers. I'm just amazed at I'm using Twitter more now to talk with people than email. Email is, you know, CYA and, you know, big forms that you need to send back and forth. But when I actually want to socially interact with people, I'm using Twitter. What's even more amazing than anything else is I'm interacting with strangers on Twitter. It's a platform that I'm meeting new people. I, um, I live in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I work in Philadelphia. I never knew that the evangelist of MapQuest also lives in Lancaster, right down the street from me, and that they're having a major conference in three weeks, and he said, hey, come on by. This is a stranger that I've met on Twitter. It's kind of like those chat rooms of before, but the idea is feeling comfortable interacting with the strangers. And that's related also to the comfort in images. Uses and activities. Um, this is very interesting with listservs, um, like on, I don't know, there might be some listservs that you all belong to, and you have people who are lurkers. Um, does anybody know what a lurker is? Or does anybody not know what a lurker is? What, what? Oh, what's a, could somebody say what a lurker is? Yeah, they, they don't join in. They just, yeah, they just sit and watch, and they just listen to all the comments. And uh, it's a big problem if you're building educational software uh, for classroom support, um, because what happens is you have lurker students. So they'll let a conversation start, and then they'll see what other students are typing, and then they'll take their time and look it up in the book and come up with a brilliant response to that. But they're always second or tertiary responders. And so a lot of the educational software now is trying to build in um, kind of business analytics or business intelligence tools to identify lurker students and to try and figure out ways to probe them at, you know, in the secondary part of a, a semester to say, okay, you can't be a lurker anymore. You have to actually say things first. Okay? So it, it's, it's interesting. So you want visible lurkers. So if somebody's lurking and not saying something, they're, they're putting ways in there so it becomes very obvious. Somebody's standing out. We call it sometimes in, in uh, the real world, wallflowers, people who are against the walls. Um, access and linkages, this is, this is pretty simple. Search, browse, ask. This is your traffic coming into the site from other sites. And then comfort and images. This is what type of place is this? And this is not, uh, I We'll get to it a, a, maybe a little bit farther down. But this is not 
figuring out who your users are, and then just building for a very uh, narrow set of users. This is building for a community. So it's very important for comfort in images. So no, nothing that would turn people off. So pornography, um, visitors that can be seen in different areas. When you go onto many sites, sometimes they'll say how many people are actually there or online in that site, but many sites don't do that. And they don't give you any indication of how much of the community is, is online at that time. Um, I was talking with somebody yesterday, and with the increase of teleworking at their company, they work at a very large company, and they absolutely use uh, Jabber and instant messaging as a way to see if people are you know, present, um, even though they're not in the office. So any way that you can do uh, comfort and images to allow to see images of people. Um, one of the sessions that I went to, uh, one of the workshops, multi-day workshop, was how to turn a place around. We went to Rockefeller Center, and Bryant Park, Times Square, Washington Square. That was Bryant Park right there. And what was really fascinating is uh, we went to uh, Washington Square in New York City, and we did this. We, we each went to a different section of the, of the park and spent probably about an hour, two hours, hanging out, talking with people, surveying them, and writing down our observations on maps. And then we came back into uh, the headquarters for PPS, and we had a facilitated, structured discussion. And this thing is huge. It's probably the size of three of these panels together. And I, th I, I think the, the lights might be a little bit bright, but you can see that this is a map of the park, and what they do is, as you go through discussing things, um, they write it down onto the map. And it's very interesting. It's almost like when we do usability testing, you know, and we have the printout of the page, and we have where people made comments on things, or sometimes where eye tracking is. It's, it's a very dense, dense map. And it took uh, probably about two hours to do it. it. It was very large, but it was absolutely unbelievable when you sit back then and you look at all the possibilities and all the potentialities because it has both the problems that exist there and on the opportunities. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, it was probably uh, one of the uh, most exciting slams. It's kind of like a slam, I'm not sure. Did anybody take part in the slam yesterday? So, it's, it, I call it a slam. Um, it, they call it a charrette, and they do it an awful lot in uh, architecture and urban planning. The other uh, workshop that I went to was how to create a successful market. Um, you can see uh, one market down here, and then the Essex market uh, right up here, uh, the, the three over here. And I just wanted to bring your attention. This is supposedly the best cheese shop in New York. Uh, very ironic. I, I, I like cheese an awful lot, so it was great being able to go there. But this is their display window. This is inside of the building. And I thought, oh my god, that is so incredible. This display window, you're looking straight on right there, it, it looks very set. It looks almost like um, a, a window display that you're supposed to uh, go past with a department store. And what I thought was really interesting is what worked so effectively isn't the arrangement of the items. So I took a picture of two people talking to each other while looking into the window. The window, as you can see, is slightly reflective, which is 
so you can talk to each other about something that you're both looking at while seeing the other person's reaction at the same time. So that's also something that we can achieve, very hard to achieve in the physical world, but in the virtual world we can take advantage of those um, simultaneous types of communication. Uh, the other thing that you can see that they did in this is it's not a display that's down on the ground so that people have to be looking down because that wouldn't work very well reflectively. It's up at eye level so everything's right there and it's just absolutely phenomenal. I think that's part of their success of being uh, the best rated, the best cheese store in all of uh, New York. Um, that's, this is triangulation at its best. I, I couldn't find a better example of triangulation than this. And uh, you, you can see all the great framing that's done. It actually looks like a picture frame. If you look at it, uh, the reflections at eye level, it's almost like a museum piece. This was uh, the charrette that I took part in in uh, Philadelphia for the bridge that's currently falling down. It's uh, South Street Bridge. Does anybody know South Street Bridge? Are you scared to uh, drive over it now? Okay. <laughs> it's in very bad shape right now. Now, <laughs> what they did is they had, uh, there's actually a local community group called the South Street um, Community uh, organization, I think it is. It, it's a strange name. But they brought the community together in a center nearby and they put out, you can see a couple different things here, a map in which they put numbers down and people put comments on. Uh, they had different tables set around and each of the different tables had somebody who was facilitating. Uh, also harkens back to the keynote about facilitation. And what they did that I thought was absolutely amazing is each of these tables, they had people who could draw and give form to the visions that these community members had. And I thought that, that that's a very powerful way to, to think about information architecture. So you can see what they did is they had tons of examples of other bridges from around the world. You can even see London Bridge there in one of the pictures. And they had those there for the community members to react to and to talk about what they liked and what they didn't like. And then they sketched it right away with different possibilities. And then they would take those uh, tracing papers and put them on top of the, you know, the, uh, the actual architectural renderings, either current renderings or proposed renderings. And it, and it worked extremely effectively. Um, uh, Central Market is a market in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's my local market. Um, it's the oldest market building in the United States, so a couple hundred years old. Um, you can see it's, uh, the Amish are very active in the building, uh, Amish farmers. And I talked to people in that building concerning their, their use of mobile devices. And uh, this was uh, an interest area of mine when it was in um, uh, New York. I don't know if I had it on the earlier slide, but they had uh, postings and notices in the different, uh, they're called grain markets. It's an actual like brand in New York City of different farmers markets. And they had postings of, from the community of, hey, go to this blog site and we'll let you know information. And I thought, oh my gosh, how is mobile devices, how are they being used in these markets? How might we be able to design things that are, are much better and useful? I went to a number of these blog sites and really all they were 
was a listing in a blog of all the different vendors that existed there. And that's what like we used to call that brochureware. So, um, so talk to, to people uh, January 12th, uh, Friday morning with stand owners and customers um, of the different people uh, who had cell phones. Um, most of them, a little bit slightly more than most of them, had texting on that and that they said that they would be interested in either signing up for text messages or for sending text alerts, so if they were a vendor. And what kinds of text alerts like this? This is one that's go, uh, happened uh, in 2007 in the summer from the Hastings Farmers Market, the most fun you'll ever have in a parking lot. Um, these are temporary markets. They form and they, and they uh, come down at the end of the day. Um, over at Morgowetz, uh, those knobby sweet baby carrots have been selling out first thing. Some of the diehard regulars have even taken to, taking, taken to texting their orders in at the crack of dawn to make sure to have some bunches set aside from them. Text messaging, a farmer's market, vendor, you gotta love it. So people are starting to use these uh, to try and accomplish uh, things that can't be accomplished in the physical world um, in the uh, online world. Ah, so okay, so Markets and Mobile, you can see this is the uh, uh, Grand Army Plaza up in uh, New York. I think we're close to where Lou Rosenfeld lives. And you can see blogging, blogging over there, just up on the board. So people definitely want this type of community or this type of information, not just through physical signs at the site and not through human contact of asking other people while they're there, but also to have it in an online format. So there needs to be this balance or the way that um, mobile devices can work in markets and plazas and parks um, are to balance between the human resources necessary to communicate information, physical resources, and online resources. In the uh, Bryant Park, a big thing is, is called programming, so different events that they have. So they are trying to set up uh, text messaging systems so that when a group or a band comes to play, people will automatically be notified. Hey, there's a, this band that's playing this evening at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. Come and attend. Uh, some of the things that, that happened from uh, taking part in these workshops is not a direct effect, but a secondary effect. So I tried to uh, think about uh, information architecture and, and at Comcast we're going through and, and doing this. Think about inf information architecture as if it's placemaking, that we're focused on making a very pleasurable experience for people. So you can see this, I'm, I'm not gonna go into the diagram really, but you can see that it's like a city, you know, and that we're uh, zooming in and seeing people and building individual houses, but then the, the goal of placemaking is not the individual item, but how it fits within a pattern um, amongst the other buildings. And that's the key to placemaking that does not occur and what they think is the main failure with the design profession and with the architecture profession. It's not urban planning and it just looks at what's going on in that building and what's going on in those four walls. Uh, the second uh, probe that I had was, uh, was this and we talk an awful lot about uh, this at, at Comcast. The, seeing the same and the role of the facilitator, the IA as the facilitator and the placemakers, what they try and do is they try and bring the different people together at the bottom who might be talking about something and just talking and they think they're saying the same thing, 
but they're actually, one person's imagining a circle, the other one a triangle, and the other one a square. And what we do very successfully as IAs and what happens in placemaking is they build ways so that people see the same thing. So they take the vision from the community and they give it form in the different types of uh, discussions that they have. The big thing that they do is charrettes and they try very, very hard to get everybody talking, to break into small groups and then large groups. It's amazing the amount of communication that they engage in with some documents that look very similar to what we do, but they do a much more uh, large scale, sometimes 40, 50, 60 people in a room together to try and build a common uh, understanding of what the form is for the vision that the people have. And they seem to be much more successful at it uh, than, than we are. So up at the top, you can see the, you know, the wireframe. Everybody sees a little house, and they're imagining in the house. So what we put on paper for everybody to see is what we all have agreed upon. And that building agreement is what placemaking has done very, very successfully and built some absolutely phenomenal uh, successes. This is another probe, so you know the happy community in the center. And what they do in placemaking is they go in there you know, they know the small and they know the large, the context. So it's not just the, the playground or the different activity centers, the dog running area in the playground, but they also know that there's a, um, a pet store down the street and they get them involved in cleaning up and maybe donating money and they make that sure that there's advertising at the dog run center for the uh, pet store. They try and integrate together. They're definitely, even though they're very uh, nonprofit, they realize that it's money, it's um, uh, patrons that support these different types of activities in the community. And the thing that they do also very successfully in New York City is they build um, business owner uh, associations around each of these centers that they need to energize and manage. And we don't seem to do that very well. We get agreement or we get sign off on a deliverable and then that's it. After the thing starts living, we don't engage with the different stakeholders to make sure that there's continued support. Um, I don't know if that's a role that we can actually take on, but it's something that seems to be very successful for iterative types of design like placemaking. So knowing the small, knowing the large, this is uh, seeing the same, describing the different with bridging the gap. So these sessions that they have, charrette sessions, are not happy sessions. These are where people think their communities are being destroyed. They yell, they cry, they say, for 20 years, you know, you've been making these streets like this, and my children have to do, you know, ride their bicycles, and you've moved the barrier now to protecting the cars from falling into the river. What about the car hitting my child, you know, and being smashed against the, the guardrail? You know, don't you think that's crazy that you're moving that? So these are extremely conflictual places. But what they do very well is describe the different. Sometimes we, we seem to pretend that we, we have this, we put it on paper and that a piece of paper exists. It means that everybody has agreed to it and we haven't dealt with the differences. So they do extremely well at describing the differences and putting those up. So bridging that gap between those two. They dream the better and plan the possible with tactics and strategy, especially with the South Street Bridge. They, they know that there's a certain budget limit and they can't do anything more. They want to get more street lighting for pedestrians who are crossing the street. It's a major thoroughfare for uh, University of Pennsylvania students. 
but there's no more budget for that. So what can they do? So they, they do realize their limits and they try and work within them. They don't say, they don't you know, lie down on their sword and say, oh, you know, this is impossible. We're gonna you know, chain ourselves and, and stop this. And to the, to the absolute end or to questions? Okay. Um, and then they you know, uh, deal with uh, implementation. Um, one interesting dilemma, um, and this is my last slide, that uh, Steelcase did a wonderful ethnographic investigation last year, spent a lot of money in investigating hallways and building out special new types of hallways. They build office environments um, with little cubby holes to take people out of the traffic flow. Um, uh, it was presented at the uh, EPIC conference. So they are building cubby holes to take people out of the flow of traffic. In placemaking, through years, decades of observations, Placemaking says that people want to be actually in the flow. If you watch people talking on the side of the street, they don't get out of the flow of traffic. They stand at the worst places. <laughs> okay, now wait. Our great designers here have realized this is a problem of efficiency and we can have a project to fix this. Placemaking says, my gosh, that's how you meet people, by being in the flow because you're not having these conversations because you planned it. Hey, let's meet in the middle of 17th Street and 18th Street um, and have a conversation. They're accidental. The way that you have more accidental conversations, remember triangulation, is by having yourself in the middle of the flow. So it's sometimes you're designing out what's desirable, um, though it might be a problem for efficiency. So, um, that's the last slide. Uh, does anybody have any, any questions? Oh, and I'm sorry, and I have a, a number of the different pamphlets and documents and things like that up here so that you can come up and, and check them out afterwards. Yeah, I have a, um, my question isn't directly on task on this. There's a, mm -hmm. a lot of what people are talking about is like using um, more instant ways of getting information to people who are visiting a site or being part of an activity. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you were talking about was um, like areas text messaging out to folks who'd signed up for that. Um, I work at a university, and the students are obviously way ahead of the game, and all they do yeah. is text message all day, except for mm -hmm. when they're listening to their iPod, and that's at the same time. But um, so the school has been trying to figure out different ways of how do we get this information to them, and at the same time, the local baseball team is saying, oh, we're going to let you know when you know, the team's in town, and the local faculty club is saying, mm -hmm. oh, we're going to let you know if a thunderstorm is coming. Yeah. What's our sense long-term in terms of how viable that is as an option? Um, with the, uh, the different communities that they're trying in New York with this, is they try and make it so that you sign up to be notified of music events. Not a particular genre, but music events. And they're usually connected with particular sub-communities, like the dog club, or the chess club, or um, the children's play area, um, or the bocce court. So they try and break it to down to the community level, not to the individual level. So it's not a psychological process. They're trying to look at very much as a uh, sociological, as what groups do you support with these technologies. But students are really interesting in, in New York for, for use of public spaces, especially with, uh, if you might have seen it on the diagram, that's next to New York uh, University, and um, Wi-Fi is big time with students in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hi, Dennis. Um, 
Uh, I just, after seeing this and uh, the work that Bryce Gloss did yesterday on like the reputations, building reputations, mm. um, he, I was just wondering if... Um, I didn't make it to that one, so... Uh, no, well, he was talking about that you can have essentially five different types of community mm. um, depending on the interaction that you're wanting the community to do. Mm-hmm. So from comfort to competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it feels like with all the placemaking stuff, it's all around kind of pleasure and comfort, um, about making the pleasure and comfort better. But mm-hmm. it, could there be a way that the interaction that we induce, c- could we, uh, I suppose, be inducing the competitiveness within the placemaking, um, a competitive um, uh, space? Um, and I don't know, what, what, yeah, what do you, could, yeah, could we do that with? with what you're talking about. It's, it's an interesting question. There's uh, uh, some great work that it's been coming out of UCLA Film School on um, the uh, in- types of interactions that are occurring on, on uh, YouTube and whether that's building a community or not or even if it's communication or not um, because they don't seem to build and, and create any sort of uh, uh, story trajectory in the uh, reactions that people are having. So in terms of, you know, there's competitiveness to uh, against somebody else in competitiveness that just, hey, I want to be the most popular or the most viewed video. So there, there, might, there might be some really interesting stuff there. They don't talk about that in placemaking. It's you know, trying to create harmony. Dennis, um, an important aspect of placemaking and, and what you're describing is that it's not project specific. Yes. Um, and I think the majority of us start working on something on a particular project. So what it's are very th- hard to do iterative design yeah. and project-based design. It, so what are your thoughts on how IAs can start influencing the work that they're doing towards a placemaking approach when they're starting in the context of a project? Uh, I think trying to look at it more longer term, maybe uh, I think a number of IAs have started to become product managers um, to try and live with it and to try and manage it and be able to deal iteratively over time. And to think about uh, for the next iteration, you know, one or two or three iterations down the road, how can you make sure that the different stakeholders are involved in looking at the success and, and making changes um, across? I think we need to have larger meetings, not around the documents, but around discussion. Thank you very much, Dennis. Thank you, everybody. And Dennis will be in the discussion lounge if you want to ask him more.